All right, everybody, welcome to Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. And I'm your roommate, Salvo Veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. Guys, we're coming at you on a different day than Wednesday. We don't have a book, but we do have some special guests. Um, Back before I had Learning the Tropes, um, I was obsessed with this podcast. Um, So being able to see these women in real life, I mean, in Zoom, no one's in real life anymore, guys. There's no real life, Uh, is a special treat. And so they agreed to come on and we were going to talk about romance and talk about them and, you know, whatever comes up. Um, So please welcome the ladies from Romance, Isabeau and Morgan. Hey. Hello. Hello, guys. (laughs) I'm Morgan. I'm also the romance virgin. (laughs) Nice. I'm also the romance veteran. Great. So we stole your idea. (laughs) Uh, What is it? It's like it's a sincere form of flattery. It's It's also a really good dynamic. It's an homage. It's a. It's a. It. Everyone does it because it works so well. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Wait, is that how you guys did get started? Like, Morgan, you had not read a romance before? Oh, wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I, was, I came out of grad school, and I just could not read. And I was talking about it with my compa- former compatriot, Isabeau. And she was like, well, maybe you should try a romance novel. And she referred me to A Week to be Wicked by Tessa Dare. Ooh. And because I just came out of grad school, I only had one way of thinking about reading and so I was like we have to talk about this <laughs> <laughs> and we should talk about it in front of others we yeah. need to make this public no, we're really smart other people need to hear what we have to say mm-hmm. about a week to be wicked and I was like yes obviously I've been waiting to talk about this book for like six years like please the rallying cry of the podcaster like people should know my opinion yes <laughs> Uh, a Week so, to Be Wicked is an amazing first romance, too. Tessa is, I yeah, I love her, and that's such a great book. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. gr- that's great. Because, that, I mean, uh, the first few that we read for this podcast were my first few. And the one, obviously, I think anybody who has listened to our podcast at all or ever heard me speak about romance knows that Dreaming of You was the one that really, like, ignited that fire. But it was, I think three or four books in and I liked what I'd read so far but that was the one I think that kept me coming back that was the real like and I'm so glad that I read that one when I did because it made me understand that okay this is something that I could really really actually be into um and it's 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 a book by Lisa Claypass who you guys love right (laughs) (laughs) you know I'm starting it so early. I know. I know he, really? he wanted to. Yeah. Clayton needs to hear why so bad. This is. Listen. <laughs> um, I I will say I've never read Dreaming of You. And I've told Aaron this before. At this point, it feels like like I can't read it. OK. Like I've gone this far without reading Dreaming of You. Um, it's part of who I am and how I formed this opinion of basically it's your identity is the absence of Derek Craven right exactly it's like the people who exactly. refuse to see Star Wars at this point because they were like I just exactly. haven't and I don't want to participate in that aspect of culture um yeah and based <laughs> on your guys you know experiences with the clay pass I understand maybe stay away I don't know it could be you might I don't I mean, know that you would love it yeah, like I have liked 
and I I would liked as a small word. I have loved Elisa Claypass novel in the past. I really loved um, Love in the Afternoon, the last in her uh, weird family series, and I also really loved Suddenly You. Um, I I really love that Lisa Claypass novel. I like hate Derek Craven. I know that that's like a whole thing. <laughs> I just think she's actually quite uneven. Okay. And she's not somebody that, like, I would show up to and, like, trust that I'm in good hands all the time. Like, if I'm in a good book, then yes. But if I am in a bad Lisa Clay pass, it's like, oh, God, where are we going? We're in so much trouble. Um, it, she's just... Is it too yeah. many ferrets? <laughs> no. Okay. That's my one qualm with her is that she seems to like ferrets. She loves ferrets. And I, she, I've i said on the podcast that I, I question anybody who likes ferrets. <laughs> I wonder whose ferrets came first, Laura Kinsale's or Lisa Claypass's. I feel like there was a moment because Loretta Chase also has several books about ferrets. They're like, we need something cuter than a cat that's also going to like function as like a plot what device. You, do you honestly believe that a ferret is cuter than a cat? Thank you for asking my question for me. <laughs> Yes. Pat, stop recording. <laughs> we can't have this <laughs> for posterity. Um, Isabel, no. <laughs> this is the delusion of woe mans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is over. So, so real Did quick, you... because this this might be because you 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 said that you don't really like Derek Craven. Is it like had you read a? I mean, had you been like a lifelong romance reader before you had read that? Because I do think that the impact he has on me is very much of a newbie, of a of a virgin, where he might have just hit all those those chords first. Because a lot of people, and, and an example of this is like somebody who likes like love Blink One Eighty Two and still loves Blink One Eighty Two. Not that they're a bad band, but like they're not looked at as artistically like the high watermark for rock or punk. But you, it's always just your first. And even though you like other stuff that is, quote unquote, better, there's still that heart. Like your heart is still with, like, you know, Tom DeLonge and Travis Barker and the other guy. <laughs> did you just watch Great British Bake Off where he makes a bust of Tom DeLonge? Of course I did. That was so <laughs> weird. Someone made a bust of Tom DeLonge on Great British Bake Off? Yeah. With a it's- lip ring. It's perfect. And all of his teeth. Amazing. All of his teeth. More teeth than he actually probably has in his head. He was generous with the with the teeth distribution. Um interesting. But do you think that might have something to do with it? Maybe. Um I don't know. I like I had certainly read a lot of romances before I encountered Derek Craven, but Morgan, you hadn't. I've never encountered Derek Craven. Yeah. Oh. Yes, you haven't read it. I haven't read it. But see, this is the great thing but about I- romance is that it's there's something for everyone. So even if you don't like the same exact hero as I do, we just all like romance. So like that's what brings us together. We get a lot of recommendations from people mm-hmm. that are like, I love this book, I love this book, and then we just don't like it. And we mm-hmm. always tell them, don't worry. It's we like you. Like we like you. It's just we just don't agree for whatever reason on the aesthetics or whatever of this book. And I think yeah. in at least for me just being like a a visitor or you know like a guest, like 
I find Romance Landia very welcoming in that way. I think Romance Landia can be welcoming. I think like this is like a broader conversation sort of about like don't yuck my yums, but also yeah. I think you're right to say like what romance you read sort of set you off. And um, I can't remember if it was somebody from maybe Shelf Love started t- this conversation about like the romances that you read uncritically, especially as like a young person and how that formation then like creates ways that you conceive of like the genre itself. And I thought about that and I thought about the romances that I read uncritically, like through my teens and early twenties and like how different I show up to them now. Um, and I think like the thing with Derek Craven is just like, I don't know, like I'd read better Lisa Claypass. I'm also just like, I mean, I get the appeal. I just like, I feel like I've seen better executions of it. And like one of the things that I like about this romance is like I love that you you're like it's really welcoming and you can like what you like and it's not that we don't like you but I also like that people like stand so hard for stuff Uh in romance landia and I was like oh my god it's like (laughs) yeah yeah it's 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 like amazing to me and like it's I don't want to diminish what I think is like a really powerful feeling that people have about characters and like I think romance characters tend to live in us in ways that like characters from other books don't like I don't like I read a lot of literary fiction but very few of those characters like live inside of me Mm -hmm. the way that romance heroes and heroines have like sort of congregated and like back shelves of my mind um and I've been thinking about that I've been thinking about why that is like why this genre functions that way in terms of like emotionality and what you can hang on to because like I've read hundreds of books and I can't remember all of them. Like when it like, you know, this whole like it had a red cover and her dress was really big. And it's like, I feel that too. Cause like, I don't know. It's like once you've read enough, you're sort of like, it has to really break the surface. Yeah. This conversation about, you know, why is it so emotionally resonant and why not Lisa Claypaws <laughs> really like jives together for me because she is uneven because she is engaged in a blatant like for her like her unevenness very clearly gestures towards the capitalistic endeavor of romance um which is kind of a bummer and then the other part of that is like a a good romance is emotionally resonant and there are some cheap shots you can take and you really see her take those cheap shots when she's churning through a book when she's writing not her best work yeah uh and so I also like not only do I find her catalog uneven, I really liked Suddenly You. Um, there there were moments in there where I was like, how did, where are we? <laughs> Don't put a raspberry there. Like of all the fruits, a raspberry feels like the most dangerous. Anything with tiny seeds. If it's a problem with someone, for someone with IBS, you should not insert it into your vagina. Okay. But the, See, I, d- I did not know that there was a raspberry vagina insertion in that book. Or any Suddenly of her you books. is like her kinkiest book because there's also anal. <laughs> like it's wow. yeah. Lisa decided to go for it and she picked a she did. a spinster and a editor to do it, which is probably why I like it because she really goes for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times it just seems like she's playing it safe and coming up short, and that's like a technical failing, which I will not forgive. 
Okay. <laughs> no, so- but that is a true. That's a very real thing with romance. Is the is the churn of it and these big authors how they're expected to be writing like two or three whole books a year, and that's like near impossible. And it would be impossible to be writing that volume and have it be like consistently perfect every time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I get, yeah, I think that Clay Pass being uneven is a, is not an unfair statement. Like, I, I think it's probably pretty true. And we found that even in the ones we've done, because we read two full, like, series of Lisa Clay Pass for this, for learning the tropes. And there was a few in there that both of us were like, oh, I, it just didn't hit us the same way that the other ones did. And so I, I definitely see that. I mean, I don't think she's like, batting a thousand by any means you know <laughs> and these are all things now like when i read another lisa claypass i'll kind of have to be more critical just to see these things like when is she phoning it in because i can totally see that now that you guys mention it um that doesn't diminish like my love for for Derek craven or anything but it definitely will make me think more like critically because she does have such a place in my heart too because of that and it was fairly recent too like less than two years ago so i might still be in that glow of newness uh when it comes to romance landy in general and romance books you know because it is true like so morgan when you first start like got um inducted into the annals of romance landy or whatever you want to say how did you feel your reception was or how like you know people reacted to you and how you were new um as far as making the podcast kind of because that's the first time I kind of made it really public yes (laughs) and engaged with people um, oh, I do want to talk about actually when we started making the podcast, I would tell people um, and I actually wrote my master's thesis on fan fiction mm-hmm. and I had a very similar thing where um, I would mention fan fiction and suddenly all anyone wanted to talk to me about was fan fiction and they wouldn't like they would admit to writing it, but they wouldn't want to give me any usernames or like titles. They didn't want to share that part of themselves, but they were really excited to have someone to talk to about it and someone who was willing to be like, Fan fiction. I take it seriously. Yeah. And when it, the same thing happened when we started making the podcast, our um, our friend Kim, who came on the show because she's a really big Lisa Claypaw's fan, and um, she, uh, we were out to lunch, and she was like, "What have you been up to?" And I was like, "Oh, Isbo and I are going to start a podcast about romance novels." And she's like, "Oh," and like tried to play it really cool, and was like, "So have you read any Lisa Claypaw?" <laughs> 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 and it was like that. Um, I don't. You know, I don't know. I'm pretty, uh, (laughs) I have a lot of strong opinions and I don't know if it's so much that I'm new here or that I have a lot of strong opinions that I do say things that get quite a bit of pushback in Romance Landia. Okay. Um, but I also, uh, like I run our Instagram and I think the Instagram community around romance is so much fun. Um, and people are really willing to be vulnerable on there and talk about what romance and specific pieces of it mean to them. And I think that was really shocking to me is that, you know, y- you think about it. I read Reading the Romance um, by Dwyer. Is that right? 
I read Reading the Romance, which was like <laughs> Haraway. Haraway, yes. Uh, our, our fellow Chicagoan. And um, I read that for my thesis. And so I thought about romance in this very anthropological way where like people read a lot of it and people make a lot of it. Um, and I didn't really think about it in terms of like, well, that comes from like a real keen sense of pleasure and it comes from a real keen sense of pleasure that comes from like identity and uh, reassurance of identity, affirmation. Um, and so seeing that play out was really a, a surprising piece for me and experiencing it personally. Yeah, that's so who who lives in you? If we're using <laughs> that term. <laughs> Do you have a romance hero or heroine that lives in you at the moment? <laughs> that lives in me. I think about uh, Mick from uh, The Proposition by Judith Ivory a lot. Oh, yes. In terms of people I like. Yes. But I would also say I think about the hero from Beast by Judith Ivory an awful lot. We haven't read Beast yet. And that, that so I don't read... I don't read romance um, when I'm not uh, when we're it's not for the podcast because I feel like that is cheating on mm. the listeners. <laughs> um, but I Beast is one of the books that I was like, should I just read this for pleasure? Because I like the proposition so much and the Beast sounded so nuts or at least really fun. And I was like, should I just mm -hmm. read this? But then I was like, I can't start. I can't start, you know, reading on the down low because I just feel like I have this. <laughs> I I guess maybe it's not even saying that it's about listeners. I think it's more about me. Like, I want to talk about it, you know, like mm -hmm. I want my thoughts to be heard. And if I read it and I'm only talking to Aaron about it off mic, it just doesn't feel like it exists <laughs> most. Right. So but yeah, the beast that is and what what made you like the beast so much? Um, it was, it showed me like that romance has like multiple possibilities within it. The hero is, um, disabled. He has a disability. He's also physically unattractive. Um, and he's also emotionally unattractive because of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and really complex. Um, and then there's this heroine who is very much like the Kathleen Woodywiss heroine where she's like, just a gal of 18 and she's very wealthy and super beautiful and so tiny um and she's also like emotionally bankrupt because of it and I loved reading a book that it is crazy it is fun I loved reading a book that was like two bad people who were nothing like any other romance relationship I've seen but I was still like god I just hope they get it together and make it work <laughs> Like, he, like, starts seducing her um, without showing her who he is by claiming to be a sheik, um, which would have been set, like, in the time period that the book was set. Like, The Sheik by E.M. Hull would have been a really popular book. And so there's, like, also this really complex race issue and this meta-romance issue happening. Um, wow. And it was just conscientious of all of that. Like Judith Ivory, you guys, I mean, just reading the proposition, you know that she can keep a lot of marionettes on the stage dancing at once. And so it was just, uh, yeah, I remember reading it and, and I was so scared to recommend it to Isabeau for the show. <laughs> um, 
And I remember when we first sat down to talk about it and Isabel was like, so I do want to ask like, why? (laughs) My first question, why? Yeah, yeah. Um, But it was just, uh, it showed me that there is like, like, I love crazy stuff. That's the kind of romance novel I like. I like it when people are taking a shot at something. Mm Mm-hmm. And it gets weird. And, like, they're letting their id spill out in a really literal way. That is always really fun because sometimes the author, it feels like the author isn't aware of their hang-ups. Mm-hmm. Like, have you guys have you guys read the any of the new species, which is our other obsession? <laughs> no. No. The author obviously has some <laughs> obsessions with things. That when we read that first book, we were cracking up at, and we're not making fun of the person because we actually enjoy those books and we, I mean, we enjoy them, but there is a level of, we don't know if the author understands what she's saying when she's writing these things. And that's Mm -hmm. always, I think, interesting for us too, because Sometimes people can write, like when they write, they can turn that off and just let everything go. And those are appealing people because I feel like I wish I could do that more. Just really be the genuine person that I am and get all those things out in an unveiled way. Mm -hmm. I think unveiled is really important there because like what you're describing sounds like Joey Hill and her book Mermaid's Kiss, which is... (sighs) bonkers gotta read this oh my god like get ready for like an epic battle between like good and evil and a sea witch and a dragon and also the military industrial complex also god's a woman and like like sex magic but also like what it's just it's never ending but also like you don't ever want it to end like living in that space is both wild in the sense that like you are experiencing somebody's like unbridled something which is always sort of like a treat but also a little voyeuristic or it's like because I think you're right to say that like part of the wish fulfillment of romance is like somebody's really like a really good one when they just really let it rip like part of the wish fulfillment of that isn't just the romance itself but like the writer doing something amazing um and like that duality like I think doesn't happen very often, but like when it happens, it's really special. (laughs) Yeah. We got to add that to the list, Aaron. Mermaid's kiss. Mermaid's kiss. Yeah. Done. Well, yes. Yes. Mermaid's kiss. (laughs) She has a much darker sequel to Mermaid's kiss. It's so dark. (laughs) What is, what happened? Just tell us. If you don't want to overlap content. (laughs) Um, so the, so like, like any good first, it sets up a series. And so like our first one's about this particular mermaid, but then she has this like friend slash half sister who's the sea witch. And like the second one is just crazy BDSM where the first one was sort of hinting at it. But like in the second one, there's this scene where the angel that's like trying to take care of the sea witch, who's like having her soul trying to be eaten by demons and like ripped to hell. And she's trying to prevent that from happening because she's complicated and dark um she her mermaid tail is in a mermaid tail it's like an octopus bottom and he like 
stabs her in two of her tentacles to keep her on the seafloor at one point, and then they basically have sex, and it's like, what am I... And it's like, you're so (laughs) unprepared for this scene. Like, there's, like, they're fighting, there's blood, and then they're like, it's just... I'm like, that's the book. It's like, her soul is being ripped to hell, and there's this sad angel who's trying to, like, stop that from happening, but then you find out his backstory, and his backstory is, like, crazy. And And his backstory is based on a pretty infamous true crime case, where... So he's, like, a new angel, and it turns out that he was, like, murdered by his mother, and it's an exact parallel of this case where this woman was escaping, I think, some kind of cult situation and an abusive husband in Utah, and whenever he showed up at the hotel, it's a famous story. She like threw all of her children off the balcony and then jumped down after them. And that's his backstory, like very much verbatim an actual case. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Right? I think tonally, I don't think that's the book for learning the tropes. <laughs> Fair. I don't. No. I don't think totally. That's a book for a lot of folks. That's a yeah. uh, we're dealing with a lot there. Because I think for us yeah. too, it's like knowing what the the audience is and sort of like what we're capable of doing. Just the two of us. It's like there <laughs> yeah. is sometimes I read a book and I'm like, this would be a great book, but I'm just like, I don't know if we would be able to really talk about it in the way that it is that it should mm. be talked about. And I think that's a lot to unpack. And <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Geez. What's the What's the most challenging book? I, this is off topic, but what's the most challenging book for y'all uh, that you've covered on the show? Ooh, that I have an idea, the- Clayton. What do you think? You go, Erin. Let, let me know what you think it is. I mean, I just what came to mind when you asked the question, I think like Long Shot by uh, Kennedy Ryan was really hard for us to talk about because I it's a beautiful book and I loved it a lot, but it, it, it deals very viscerally with domestic abuse in a way that it really doesn't shy away from it and you experience like multiple acts of violence um in a kind of an ongoing way and it also deals with race and obviously we're both white and so while I do think it's like important for everyone to talk about race um I think for us it it was a little bit hard it was it was a it was a hard book to talk about but I think um, I don't always also read the books before we we do them for the podcast. Sometimes it's just like people suggest them or I just hear people talking about them. So I'm like, all right, well, let's do it. And I don't know as much as I loved the series, uh, the whole the hoop series. I think I maybe would have picked a different one in the series. Um, yeah, because that was just a hard episode, I think. And it was dealing with some very like serious real life topics. I think when it's like, the, the fantasy element of it, like that one where like this is also an octopus woman and an angel. I think like we could probably talk about that because that's not real. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? I mean, the, the boy is real and that's really upsetting. But um, I think that was probably yeah. the, the hardest one for us to talk about. I don't Clayton, am I missing one? I was going to say the Meliere because the green uh, the green apple jizz uh, was really disgusting. And I almost threw up. Reading it and then reciting about it on air, I literally almost gagged because I found it so disgusting. Yeah, Green that Apple was a jizz. disgusting book. There was just, 
it, it was that was a book that was weird too because that book dealt with slavery like he was a slave and then also just like the volume of jizz was like overwhelming and the way that it was constantly described was also like overwhelmed in a way where i was like this person loves jizz which i'm happy with and i think everyone should find the aspect of sex that makes you the happiest and go for it but just this too much jizz and it, and it well, was green see, see i will state it wasn't the amount it was the color and the texture was my but issue. But we heard a lot about it. I had no he problem was, with the amount. He came yeah. buckets. Okay. Yes. What about you? My concern. Yeah. Sorry. My yeah. concern there wouldn't be that like the book liked jizz too much, but that the book was putting jizz on too much of a pedestal. <laughs> yeah. 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 Jizz needs to know its jizz. place. You can't I put think. the jizz on. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Not where it belongs. Not where it belongs. <laughs> what about the same question to you guys? Is there a book that you guys did that you feel like you didn't really like nail or it seems like you guys read your books before you talk about it, which I think is probably good. And <laughs> maybe we should start, but it's hard. It's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, I feel like every time we record, I like get done and I'm like, should have thought of that different I know what I wanted to say and I couldn't say it or like totally forgot to bring up this point that feels really important in the moment mm-hmm. it's just there's so much heavy stuff in these books that's another mm-hmm. thing that's really surprising and there's also even if it's like not on the surface like reading Joanna Lindsay mm-hmm. and you mentioned you know not knowing what you're into and I think we talked about this with Erin when she came on her show but just the omnipresence of spanking (laughs) and just no like perception of like this being a kink um and i recently watched something about conservative christians being like you should spank your wife have a happy marriage and this like book came out and people are like these folks who are like living this principle very clearly have a thing for spanking and they're trying to like frame it as this moral issue uh, that's real life. And it's also in every single Joanna Lindsay novel. <laughs> right. Like if you want to, if you and your wife are into spanking, then spank your wife. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Joanna Lindsay yeah. loves spanking. That is true. God, she loves it so much. <laughs> well, that's something that you said to me pretty early on, Clayton, when we were, you know, when we were first reading romance, we, we read some book. I'm not going to remember which one where it, the heroine had had like a really bad boyfriend and you're like why do all these heroines always have really bad boyfriends and I'm like I think because women heterosexual women date men and then men can treat women pretty badly but it seemed mm-hmm. like that was sort of opening uh that was sort of eye-opening for you or am I putting words in your mouth no so like the thing was like I know I I knew I mean, obviously, I, I know the dynamics, the social dynamics between men and women in the sense of, like, there are a lot of bad boyfriends out there. I think my surprise was that if this is a wish fulfillment, that that wouldn't have been brought up. But I think what you you said, Aaron, was really good is that part of the wish fulfillment is that you can have things happen to you and bad people in your life but there are good people out there that will will open up your heart and allow you to love again, even if you have been hurt. 
And that was more of a wide view of it than I was giving it where I didn't know anything about romance. So I was like, oh, well, their lives are going to be great. And then they then they find somebody and their lives are even better. But that's not what romance <laughs> is, because that's not a that's not a, enough of a reflection of life to make the happy ending actually earned. So I think that was my thing, because I was annoyed by all these like, you know what it was? It was it was um, God, it's not Shutter Island because that's a. Uh, that's a movie. It was Shelter uh, Island, Sol- uh, Solace Island, Solace Island, and her ex was so comically mean that I like took umbrage. And 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 Aaron, you were like, "No, I know, I know girls, I know women who have had boyfriends this bad," and that was like more shocking to me than it should have been. You know. Um, but I think that's more of it where I was just like, well, why is he even included? It's like to make the happy ending better. Mm-hmm. Must be nice. <laughs> I was going to say that's so funny because like when there's like, you know, the hero and then like the other like person in her life is like also a good option. He's just like a nice guy. I'm like, well, that's not true to life. Like, <laughs> her ex needs to be an asshole. Like, <laughs> you don't get to pick from two. Like, <laughs> I know. It's like, what are you doing? And okay, that's, that's like the, I think like the power of, 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 of being, being able to read something that is from a perspective that's not your own and not aimed at you and coming at it in a way that is, why is this not like trying to mold it into my mindset, but trying to understand it from a different point of view. And I don't always do it. Like, I admit, like, I sometimes will just get, like, I'll just have a strong opinion about something and maybe not think of it as critically. But I do think I think of it more critically because I'm doing it for a podcast than I would normally. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that begs a question that, you know, we've been asked and I would love to hear you guys talk about sort of how has, like, reading changed for you since starting the podcast? Like, for the podcast and, like, when you were reading not just, like, for pleasure – (laughs) um i'll say that as the romance veteran somebody who read romance for pleasure before i embarked on this journey um it's made me both um much more expansive in terms of what i was reading before because like i was pretty much very stuck in my subgenre, which is um historicals of various kinds i'm like i wasn't stuck in like the regency or the victorian but like i pretty much it's like i don't want you wearing jeans (laughs) um nobody should be wearing jeans um and so like having to read for the podcast i've had to read widely out of my preferred subgenre, and i found stuff that i've really really loved um and i always thought that i'd be against contemporary because it like felt too close but i've read a lot of contemporaries that have been like oh like you're doing something really special or interesting um so i feel like it's opened me up in terms of the overall genre in good ways i think it's also made me like forgiving of authors in particular ways like because if if I'm deep into a story and I can't see the scaffolding, I'm always like, oh, that's really great. But in other ways, like I now know the moves of the scaffolding so well that if I see it, I'm just like, boop, mm. no, not in it anymore. <laughs> um, so that's that's been my experience of this. Um, I think I feel like a real responsibility to find quality in everything I read just because the genre has been so maligned. And, you know, this project doesn't really make sense unless we know that romance is worthwhile and so thinking about 
how is every single thing I read in the genre, how is it relevant? How is it important? How is it speaking to something bigger than itself? Like, you know, there's there's more than the text going on. Um, and it's important to acknowledge that sometimes, sometimes the text is rich enough to talk about. And then sometimes you have to be like, okay, I've really got to think about like the socio-cultural implications of this. I never really felt like I had to defend other books that I read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Critically. I hear that. How do you guys choose the books for the podcast? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, there are lots of different ways yeah. that we choose. Like, we're kind of freewheeling. Uh, if we do a series that's much more curated. Um, Morgan came with Judith Ivory and changed my life. Um, I think early on in the podcast, I had, like, a slate of ones that I thought would be interesting to talk about. And then like as our uh, social media presence got bigger, we started soliciting different kinds of uh, feedback from listeners, but also like, you know, as Morgan said, like this idea of like romance wants critical readership and like, you know, wants to be featured in the New York times. Like let's find the stuff because it is worth it. Any genre that spends this much time in like women's perspective and is written so much by women and read so much by women really deserves this deeper mining. And so like Morgan's been incredible at finding stuff and she's like, all right, now we need to talk about this. And like, I don't even, who recommended Hummingbird? Because, like, that's the one that, like, sticks in my memory. Our as, like, only SoundCloud comment we've ever gotten <laughs> was someone saying, like, could you please read Hummingbird? Love Real Spencer? And she, yes. Yeah. And my world was torn open. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so um, good. Yeah. How do you guys choose your books? Aaron I... does it. <laughs> <laughs> We have somehow, we've like have morphed into having like a very structured like separation of duties. And so somehow book choosing has been my duty. And so I used to be really good when I had a desk job or like uh, I still have my same job, but when I was like at a desk and then I would like take an hour of every day. I hope no one from my job listens to this, but <laughs> and I would go through like Instagram comments, Twitter comments and uh, anywhere else that people would recommend things that I would like put them into this document and then I would go through and I'd be like okay well we don't want like everything in the same genre so I'd be like because if it was up to me it would be straight historicals nonstop, and I'd be like there's subtle differences guys like it's no that we have to read this one too <laughs> um so trying to do like different genres so I always try to do like one that's wild like try to also be conscious of making sure that we're reading diverse authors that's really important mm -hmm. in uh, diverse characters and um, LGBT characters and everything. So trying to be conscious of that. And then what has happened since the time of Corona, because everything has devolved, is I'll just be like, I got I got to pick next month. And so then I'll just send Clayton like truly 12 and I'll be like, pick four. <laughs> then... <laughs> For, for October, luckily, I had a few very nice listeners email me out of the blue, like, here's a really good October book if you guys are thinking of October. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking of October. And so I just did an executive decision for October um, based just on uh, books that people had recommended. And then also a Nora Roberts, because we've somehow never read a Nora Roberts and we feel like we need to. So, Isn't there a show that's doing just Nora Roberts right now? Oh, I mean, there's the... That's the other thing is like the landscape of romance podcasts have exploded. 
So yeah, it's just very possible. What were we talking about before our big diversion? I don't know. Picking books, I believe, how books are yeah. picked. Mm. Oh, and challenging books that we've read. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I wanted to come back to that because we didn't actually answer that, and I have an answer. Um, I think oftentimes it's not content that we find challenging to deal with, although sometimes that can be it. The thing that I think Morgan and I often encounter in terms of a challenge is like when a book is truly mediocre. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, what do we do with this? Like the right swipe came to mind, um, which we had a hard time talking about because it like it was fine and it and it purported to do a lot of things and it got so much buzz and people loved it. Um, And so like we had a hard time sort of like wrestling with that where it's like the wrestling with the buzz of the thing versus the text itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes like when we come up against that, I think. Morgan and I have it. We're like, what is happening? Like, what is like? <laughs> I think that can be hard for us. Yeah. 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 We just did the right swipe as well. And that, yeah, that's what I, because it wasn't bad. And it's like, if somebody right. came no. to us and was like, we, I loved this book, I'd be like, yeah, I get what there is to love about this book. It just never got there for me. But yeah. Yeah. And that's harder to talk about than like, you know, we read Fight or Flight, which I don't mind saying Ooh. we uh, fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun to talk people loved that episode though they like because yeah. we are so infrequently i don't want to say we were nasty but but really outspoken about how we didn't like a book and mm-hmm. i think people like that from us occasionally i don't think they would want to listen to us trash books every week and we don't aim for that by any mm-hmm. means like truly we I mean, I know, like, our plan when we started the podcast was to, to, to try and, like, elevate things instead of denigrating things. Because mm-hmm. Aaron said, you know, Clayton, if we do this, this can't just be you shitting on the books every every week. Because that's mm-hmm. not what I want to do. There's so many snarky podcasts about everything. That's not what this should be. And I was like, yeah, I don't want – that's not what my intention is. And so I think that's why this podcast works. And then there's also an element of like nobody wants some dude coming in and trashing the, like a female focused, female driven genre. That's just shitty. And mm-hmm. it's not fun for anybody. Like nobody would be a fan of that. So and I truly do. Now that I've read uh, Romance, I, I really love it. And I do think more people should read it. And I uh, I think that's what works for us. But I think they do sometimes like to see the claws come out. And that's mm-hmm. what happened with Fight or Flight. But do you guys ever find it hard to review a book from what it is as opposed to your expectations? Because you were mentioning about the, you know, the, the everybody liking uh, the right swipe so much. And maybe you guys had expectations of something different and then you had to wrestle with your expectations. I think that actually happens to me more now doing the podcast and being in Romancelandia than it ever did before because I'm so on top of the buzz. And so I'm like, oh, like here are a bunch of authors talking about a book or a bunch of readers that I follow and like who are talking about a book and like NetGalley and like stuff that I just was not aware of before. And so like I'm so much more aware of buzz now than I was. And so I'll, I'll want to support the author. Or I'll want to like get the book be- to catch the buzz. Um, and then I'll be like, this is what? 
And like that's happened a couple of times, mm-hmm. honestly. And I think that's like one of like the sort of secrecy parts of romance that romance as a genre is still sort of working itself out where it's like because of the churn, because of the way that it works as a nakedly capitalist genre in ways that like literary fiction is but doesn't have to deal with as much. It's like some books are going to be duds, but you have to do the work of buzzing every book as much as you can, even if it is a dud. And so like the way in which critical spheres work around books is actually can be quite misleading in romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like part of that has been difficult to wrestle with, like, because the thing that Morgan and I want to do is like, we want to elevate quality work so that we can say like romance deserves the kind of critical attention that sci-fi and mystery already have. Like mm-hmm. we're a special genre. We need to talk about ourselves and critical and manifest those things. But like, hard to do that when all of the buzz is popular and like the only way that you know that a book isn't good is if no one talks about it Mm -hmm. and like that's a like an absence as a judgment is a weird way to sort of like investigate because it makes it harder to find actual good stuff Mm -hmm. and that's the thing like if you google a book and you see like nothing but positive reviews you'll spend your money on that book because you assume it's good but it not the girl you marry it's not a good book it's a bad book um but we didn't know that because no one had ever said it wasn't good um like i think the goodreads score is still pretty fine because all of the advanced readership has kind of a foothold there um and i think you learn i even learn uh about things that i do want to read from bad reviews because what you don't like might be what i do like um and I think Aaron always, like, articulated it so beautifully and so, like, clearly. Uh, where she was like, you always go into it wanting to like the book. And that's the cornerstone of the project. We always go into it wanting to like it. One of the re- I, I don't feel a need to extrapolate the text from the hype because those books that do get hyped, they're getting hyped because they have resources that other indie authors don't have and would be far more successful um, if they did have those resources. And so I, <laughs> I see it as like pretty unfair mm-hmm. um, if something mediocre is getting all of these accolades. And then we just did a book by Jude Lucens, um, which, which was stellar and like amazing. Yeah. And I was like, why aren't more people talking about this? And then she found that we'd done the podcast and I like went on her Twitter and she has like 400 followers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, for a book this good, for you like to not be making it, for this not to be making as much of a splash as it should be, like mm-hmm. that feels so shitty. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably an issue that like every genre is sort of or everyone is kind of dealing with too. It's just like if you are good at social media, then Mm -hmm. that sort of translates with more people purchasing whatever it is you're selling. So it's like definitely that happens with romance and it happens with um, other genres too where like jobs that will be open to you because you have 10 million followers versus if you have. 500 followers it's like it's kind of the the bummer um and yeah that's a that's a fine line that you guys do but that I do feel like you um 
you know, come out on the right side of most of the time because you guys do give such an academic, critical view of the text. And I think just knowing also that you have such respect for the genre that it's almost like because you have so much respect for the genre, because you know what it can do, then it's always a little bit more disappointing when it falls flat because you know, like, this could be better and it isn't. Mm -hmm. And here are the reasons why it fell flat. And it's not because it's a romance novel. It's because of a b and c whatever it might be but so we brought you guys here a romance veteran and a virgin alongside us um and i thought it would be really fun to do some superlatives um since you guys have read so much as well clayton and i have read now a hundred books together which is wild to think of um so first one what was the first romance that you fell in love with? That's not really a superlative. That's just kind of a question. But, you know, first, who was your first? I already kind of talked about it, but mm-hmm. it was a week to be wicked. I was stunned. <laughs> Immediately. So your first romance, you were like, and I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Oh, nice. What was it about it specifically that really, like, rang your bell? It wasn't, like, vapid. There was real stuff happening. It was easy to connect with the heroine. Um, The hero was interesting. Their will they, won't they was captivating, Um, which I'd never read a book where that was captivating. (laughs) Um, And it also, there was something about, like, the ending of it kind of broke my heart. Mm -hmm. The HEA itself and the way it was executed. And that made me realize how, like, deeply invested I was. Um, in the book as a whole yeah Isabel do you have you do you have yours I do mine is a old ass dog-eared copy of Kathleen Woodowice's So Worthy My Love (laughs) uh, which takes place during the Elizabethan age Um, it is a rollicking good time as most Kathleen Woodowices are. We have like three different locations. One is a German castle in the middle of winter, so it's very cozy. Um, I first discovered this novel from my uh, aunt's weird romance basement. I stole it from her, um, and I took it on a cabin uh, trip with me and my friend uh, Flory, and we read it out loud to each other when we were like 13. <laughs> And, like, I think about that now, and I'm like, that book is so bonkers for 13-year-olds. And we, like, definitely knew, like, it was, like, something that we should not, like, tell my mom that we had. And, like, <laughs> it's just, like, we're reading it with, like, flashlights. It's actually quite a a cozy memory of me and my friend uh, and my first introduction into romance. Oh, What about you, Erin? So I, I think the first romance that I read and I was like, oh, okay, so we're doing something different there. Because I think I always liked like romance and like romantic movies and stuff but for but like you know like everybody I think I had a real prejudice against romances as being like silly or over the top and like listen they are we've read plenty of those but like um I was like a little ashamed to when I started reading romance and I started by reading um Sarah Donati's Into the Wilderness which is like, okay. But then it sort of started me on this journey of like American historicals uh, and Westerns, which, you know, that could be a whole episode about uh, Western romances and the problems to be found within 
But I was reading for pleasure, not for podcast at that stage, which was good. Uh, and then I read uh, Ellen O'Connell's Eyes of Silver, Eyes of Gold. And that was the first book that I was just like, oh, so like romance is doing something different. And I, I think it's self-published. I think all of her books are. She's a fantastic writer that I feel like people don't talk about enough. I don't feel like I ever hear her. I, I rarely hear her come up in circles uh, or discussions. And it's just the story of basically the these two outcasts in the West and one uh, the hero cord is uh, half Native American and half white and the heroine is supposed to marry this guy but she doesn't want to she runs away from home ends up on his property and in a really cruel very romance situation they are forced to marry of course secretly cord has always loved her they grew up together <laughs> And it's just their their first year of marriage. And it's just sort of like dealing with how to fall in love with somebody and falling in love with somebody. And what does that mean for how to integrate families, how to integrate, like, come out into society as a couple. And I think I had been married for probably less than a year at that stage, too. And it just, you know, didn't reflect my life. My life was nothing like that at all. But like... <laughs> But the idea of, of a marriage, I thought I, I really loved. And it, and it's a really beautiful book. Um, it's quite long. And it's a book, too, that I don't know that I'll ever do for the podcast because it's so close to my id that it's almost like I don't want to have to discuss it. Um, and I don't and it's like I don't kind of want it to be put out there. But that was the first one that really, really imprinted on me in a big way. And when people are like, what should I read? I'm like, eyes of silver, eyes of gold and then report back. Um, so yeah, so that was my first, like, yeah, the first romance I fell in love with. Clayton, I think we know the answer, but let's hear you say yeah. it. Well, I mean, I think I'll just let the listeners scream it at their <laughs> listening devices. They know it off by heart. I almost feel like a broken record at this point. So I mentioned it earlier. Feel free to fill in the blanks a little, a little, uh, play at home situation. <laughs> all right dreaming of you um of course so yeah obviously uh that's something also that would people find out like you know i've gone to like romance events and stuff and people are like oh you're from learning the tropes dreaming of you and i'm like you got it you got me <laughs> um best so everybody who is your best hero let's go in the same order that felt comfortable did i start last time Mm-hmm. All right. My best hero is Mick from The Proposition by Judith Ivory. <laughs> um, my least favorite thing about him is that he's a secret millionaire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my mm-hmm. most favorite thing about him is um, how guileless he is. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. assume uh, anything of the heroine, even though she's of like a higher class station than him. He's still like, I'm going to impress her by showing her how I can kill a bunch of rats. She's going to love that. And like, if he can't like communicate because of his idiosyncratic dialect, he'll just dance with the maid. Like I loved him and his mustache and the leg licking. Forget it. Mick. Oh, and his dogs. Dogs. Um, and I, I'm also a little bit grossed out by ferrets, but I like the idea of having a senior citizen ferret in your pocket and ha- and being like this, 
feeling that attachment and being like, I will almost ruin my own life and the woman I love's life because I have to bring this senior citizen ferret with me because she needs to have her tea and crumpets. That's so sweet. I had a friend who had a ferret. And I was staying over at her house. This is just a story of personal trauma. (laughs) And she was like, we can give my ferret a bath. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, Okay. So (laughs) we go into the bathroom and we close the door and we're washing the ferret and it scrabbles its way out. And my friend Natalie is like, oh, my God, stop it. It can flatten itself and get under the bathroom door. They can physically do that. I don't want that. No. Yeah, isn't that it's disgusting? Uh, <laughs> that's, it's such that's a like weird creature. Mice's their skulls can like squish down too. No, I don't. Yeah. No, don't. Yeah. don't allow that in your home. And I saw it. It was like starting to do it, and I was like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So it it's was like half a snake, flattened. but it has like legs its head and was fur. half flattened. Yeah, it's like nose oh. was there. I was, which was too much for me. It's like a snake with fur, legs, and it can crawl under doors. Yeah, and they have very strange personalities. Yeah. Ferrets are weird. Yeah. They're like such a such a creature. Yeah, but and if your you friend, wanna... what was going on that she owned a ferret? What was the Her... deeper deeper problem there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was the ferret size hole in her life? Her mom. Uh, so I grew up in Kansas. Kansas State University is our land grant university. And so they had a bunch of ferrets for their vet school to like learn stuff on. And they were done with that ferret. And my friend's mom was there for like a conference or something and was really heartbroken by the idea of a homeless ferret. Um, and so brought home this lab ferret. Okay. So, like, not even a normal pet ferret, like a, yeah. a deeply wounded yes. pet ferret. ferret. Experimented yeah. A ferret on. Who, yeah, who had experienced an insane amount of trauma. No, that's yeah. cool. That's great. Yeah. And a I, rats of Nim ferret. <laughs> yes, a Nim ferret. That's exactly right. I So, actually saying that now, I'm not sure that all ferrets can go under bathroom doors or if there was just something super <laughs> fucked up that happened to this ferret. I was going to say genetically modified ferrets can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was a ferret shifter. Oh, my God. I love the idea of a ferret shifter. I'm sure they exist. They're going to fit in my pocket. We can go lots of places (laughs) together. Like, it's going to be great. We'll solve crimes. That's definitely how that shifter romance goes. Shifter (laughs) romances always talk about how the shifter can smell sex in their animal form. Just thinking about a ferret sniffing out sex. No, we've never been able to connect with a shifter romance because, yeah, it just has never. And it's like, I get we're the problem because it's so huge. Because you don't want to have sex with a bear? Yeah, I just don't. I I also have just never understood why, if you can be a bear or a person, why you would choose bear. Mm -hmm. See, me and Aaron have, have different issues with shifters. I would have sex with a bear. There's not enough just sex with bears. It's too much about where they came from and the packs, like with the wolves. It's like, I don't need to hear about all your extended family. I don't want to hear that from anybody in my life. Mm-hmm. I just want the wolf sex. 
and I don't get enough mm-hmm. of it. You'll mm-hmm. love Bear by Marion Ingle. Oh, yeah. It's about true. A lone There's no bear. backstory. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not a shifter. That's just a bear she fucks. That's just a bear. Yeah. That's just a bear she fucks. Yeah. There is a point it. at which she's like psychologically trying to reason that the bear is magical. Um, but it's not. To make her feel better about getting cunnilingus from a bear. Ooh. Wow. That would be very frightening, I feel like. Because they-, they have wretched tongues, too. Yeah. They're super long and bumpy. And dry. They have dry <laughs> tongues. Ooh. That's probably not the Just best. some sandpaper on your pussy. Who hasn't dreamed yeah. of that? Um, She's going through a lot, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my best hero. I know, Isabeau, who's your favorite hero? Is the bear. The bear from... <laughs> the no, bear from bear. The bear. I love his beady <laughs> eyes. And his I do love his beady eyes and pig face. Yeah. Sandpaper um, tongue. <laughs> Sandpaper tongue. No, my best hero is the himbo Lord Dane from uh, Lord of Scoundrels by Loretta Chase. That's a solid He's very choice. much in the Rick O'Connell of the mummy move. And God, you is, love like, the mummy. God, I love it so much. Who doesn't love the mummy? The mummy is perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect film. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you. Just Listen, Aaron, if gorgeous. you want to have... If you want to have weekly two-hour conversations with Isabeau that always come back to the mummy, we'll let you do that for six months and see how you feel about the mummy. (laughs) You're still going to love it. Yeah, listen, I've been prepping for this since I was 12. I'm ready. Let's do it. (laughs) My biggest regret was telling Isabeau that I thought Brendan Fraser was cute. Oh, because you just love that, right? Oh, obviously. He's He's very hot. He is. He's, he's a true a good, himbo. Oh, such oh. the true himbo, um, as far as I'm concerned. I, like, I read this amazing thread on uh, Twitter about how wonderful George of the Jungle is because of Brendan Fraser's work as like a consenting, empathic human male who's like trying to meet the needs of the woman he loves. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like thesis I didn't write about my perfect himbo. Yeah. <laughs> Plus those abs, though. I mean, oh my, oh my god, though, and he's so sun kissed. Anyway, oh, yeah. yeah, the tan is so good in George of the Jungle. Gorgeous, so true. Uh, my so parents good. used to live in a town in uh, Connecticut that apparently also Brendan Fraser lived in because my father, we often drove by this one wine shop, and every single time my father would go like, you know, Brendan Fraser, I'd be like, we've yes, we've been over this, and he'll be like, he bought wine there, and I was like, is there a plaque? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information. Is he still there? I'll go in. I'll say hi. But it's like it always. So now whenever I think, I think like, oh, yeah, Brenda Frazier bought wine at that wine store on William Street. That's also like a perfect lie. I believe it really happened. But it's something I'm going to start telling people in my own hometown of Chicago. I'm going to be like, Brenda Frazier bought wine there. Yeah. I'm like, really? From the mummy? Yeah. See that Jewel Osco? (laughs) Brenda Frazier bought wine there. It's a lie that is impossible to prove true or fake. Yeah. Unless exactly. you have a picture of him buying the wine. It's then you just can show t- them a picture of him buying wine anywhere. Yeah. Also, anywhere. it's Greenwich, Connecticut. So I'm like, I don't know. I believe a famous person bought wine in Greenwich, Connecticut. It seems like a thing that would happen. I absolutely mm-hmm. believe that that happened. Yeah. Me too. I don't think my father was lying. I just think it's not a particularly interesting story that I've heard so many times <laughs> that now it's like inextricably like linked to Brendan Fraser is this really dull story. Um, 
Uh, I love Lord Dane. I love Lord of Scoundrels. I do think we should do it for tropes. Uh, that's a great choice. Put that's it a on the list book for tropes. Yeah. yeah. Put. It, I mean, listen. Right now we have a weird mermaid book, The Beast, and that. <laughs> love it. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to talk about the mermaid book more. You got, Oh my god. Yeah, you guys are gonna. Yeah, thank you. We'll have the Womance. Uh, it'll be Womance Month. You guys can come in or out as you please. Maybe we'll even do. We'll do a movie episode on the Mummy, Isabel, and we'll have you come on, and we'll save you from it, Morgan. You won't have to yeah. come on. Oh my God, you guys! What oh else my is God, there to guys. say about oh the Mummy that hasn't oh already God. been said? There's so much. Have you listened to the cast commentary? Because if you haven't listened to the cast commentary of the Mummy, let me blow your mind. It's like so good. Yeah. Oh my God. I my mind is blown just hearing that it's good. <laughs> she really feels it too that's what i love um uh, yeah also everyone in the movie is their at their most beautiful too which is that's true you know there are a few movies like that and and that's one of them my hero is not a surprise and i kept thinking and i was like oh should i try to really dig deep and pick somebody else um but i couldn't and it's craven He's my favorite. He was not like an early book for me. I didn't read Dreaming of You particularly early, but I think I just fell in love with him. And I think he is, you know, he has some Dane in him. And I think, uh, yeah, I just love him. So he's my favorite. I don't know. There are others that are really good, too. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, since you already took that one, obviously I'm a Craven King. No, knowledge, it's known. <laughs> um, I'm gonna put Xylar up there from Strange Love, the alien, because I thought he was a real sweetheart. I thought that he, I loved their relationship in that book. I loved the fact that he did not have a penis, which was an interesting thing that I'd never read. And I just, yeah, I thought he was like kind of a beta and I'm not a beta guy. I love alphas. And he was, I think, the first beta that really was one that I could get behind. Cinnamon Roll from Outer Space. I would recommend that book if you are looking for a really crazy alien book. Because I don't think we found any alien books that we really loved until that book and it made me realize Mm -hmm. okay so there's a book in every genre of romance that i can love Mm -hmm. still waiting for the shifter obviously Mm -hmm. but there i mean it's going to be a ferret shifter i just have that feeling especially if it can just flatten itself (laughs) and go under a door but uh i think i think that that was really very eye-opening for me xylar Xylar sounds very cool. I like that he doesn't have a penis. I feel like so much of the time I'm disappointed whenever people decide to play in these like subgenre sandboxes and then they're like, and then it's just regular old penetrative sex. It's like it feels like a real missed opportunity (laughs) to think outside the box. That was the thing with the alien books that I always found strange because it's like, Every, they are so strange and they're 12 feet tall and they're blue and they have horns. But yeah. don't worry, their cock looks like a cock. You know what I mean? Exactly the same. And it's like, OK, like, fi- like I get what you're trying to do here, but it is also takes you out of it a little bit to be like, yeah, well, that's convenient. I just well, you rewatched know. Coneheads. <laughs> but no, I agree. Mm. Um, 
was one of my favorite movies when I was a child, and it is on Netflix. Um, and there's so much interesting things about the Conehead aliens, like their many layers of sharp teeth and the fact that they're like conductive of electricity and can control it. Um, and that their mouths are designed that way for like mechanical purposes. Um, and the way they eat and consume is like really interesting. And even the way that they like translate human English, right? Even though once you get to the planet, they're all speaking human English. Um, but then whenever it came time mm-hmm. for childbirth, the only difference was that when her water broke, it was a lot more water. It was like, this is. <laughs> This is clearly written it's by Dan Aykroyd, who was like, and right. this is as weird as it can be. Uh, okay, best heroines. Uh, he- or heroine. I say hero. Do you guys say hero, hero. or hero? Who says heroine? Yeah. <laughs> I probably do. I can't speak very well. <laughs> it's fine. It's not like you have a podcast or anything. Yeah. We're like one of the main topics no. is heroines. Yeah. Um, yeah I know I like to shoot myself in the foot that way <laughs> let's make this public uh, my favorite heroine has got to be Raina from Define Not the Heart by Define Not the Heart not Define Not the Heart uh, by Joanna Lindsay uh, she's a good one she's a good one um, she Like, every romance, this is, like, a big bugaboo. Every romance novelist from this era is, like, I wrote heroines who stood up for themselves and didn't take any flack off of anybody. They all said it, and, like, very few of them actually did it, including Joanna Lindsay. Her heroines put up with a lot um, in spite of her many protestations. But Raina is actually, like very capable does not put up she is uh the daughter of a landowner in medieval times and she like has her own suit of armor built because she's left alone so often that she's forced to defend her castle alongside her people um there's this great scene where she has to go and talk to a sex worker and she that character is treated very humanely because reina treats her humanely as just a person with a job um, in her community who serves an important function um, and this was published in like 1980 something uh, she is very like she's the hero is definitely an alpha hole but she sets boundaries and she actually sticks to them throughout the novel mm-hmm. and that any kind of compromise comes from like a conversation that she demanded to have um, except for maybe when they get married but I loved Raina She's great. <laughs> I found this question yeah, harder than the hero question. And I like, and I, and I have thoughts about that, that like might become a bonus episode later. But like the way that I began to interpret this is like, who's a heroine that I like return to over and over again. And it's like, it's Minnie from A Week to Be Wicked. I really love her. I really love how she works so hard um, at her work and like how competent she is at her work and also like her sort of like unstarching is a is something that she wanted to do right it's not just that the hero is like we're gonna do this and like you're like unlace your whatever and she's like she's such an active participant in her unstarching um I just love her I think she's so fun 
Yeah, that's a great one. That's such a great book. Um, mine is, uh, it's the same thing where I feel like there was such a long time in romance where it, the heroines were sort of like a little bit blank or a little bit too perfect and like really impossible to identify with. And that has changed so significantly that I think most books, it's like, even if I think the hero is whatever, like I do find something about the heroine that to really love. Um, but in particular, I really fell in mm. love with Jane from the heiress mm-hmm. effect, Courtney Milan. She is, um, her story is just really beautiful and she really always stands up for herself and her own principles in a way that I really love where um, the story is basically like she has to remain unmarried for a certain amount of time in order to protect her sister who Mm -hmm. like has epilepsy. It's like never really defined what the issue is. Um, And, uh, so she specifically dresses really gaudy and she's rude to people in like a very funny and clever, like innocent way uh, to really put people off. And uh, she slowly falls in love. She falls in love with Oliver, the hero, and he keeps asking her to change. And she sort of realizes like, oh, this thing that I created as my armor is actually who I am and I don't want to change it. And she sort of has to state that a few times. And I just really found her um, her story really beautiful. And that's a book that I think I go back to to read like pretty often. So um, I love Jane. Yeah, Jane I also love Harris all of the women in that story. Like that's such a world of women who are both complicated and like even the the secondary characters and like their motivations and their interactions with Jane were like delightfully surprising. I really love that book. Courtney Milan is a writer who's really good at like every character yeah. is pretty rich. Yeah. Um and fully toned out, you know. But yeah, her I mean across the board her heroines are great. I have a feeling Clayton might be choosing Yeah, one of I was just going to say speaking of Courtney Clayton. Milan my favorite room is uh, I Love Free from the <laughs> Suffragette Scandal. Yes. Yes. And Free. she is, she, it's the first heroine that when she's introduced in the book, I fell immediately for her just because she was at, a, a, I believe she was at a horse race and she was sitting there. And, like, the description of her was just so strong. Um, and she, obviously, you know, she's a she's a newspaper publisher. And her and I love the relationship between her and the hero in the book because they, when we talk about banter, I think a lot of people can't do banter well. And that was one of the first books I read where I was like, this is banter. This is how two clever people talk to each other. And it made me really <laughs> fall for her because she really could give it as good as she got. And I think that was really, really great. Yeah, so I love. And I, yeah, Courtney Milan, we we should read more of her. I mean, I know you've read everything, but like we should read more of her books because I feel like she's somebody that has so many out there that we could really dive into on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. After the Wedding mm-hmm. is another one that's absolutely like phenomenal. Um, best sex scene. The I feel like this was yeah. harder than weirdest to come up with. I don't know what I chose the categories, and I don't know what I was thinking. Um, 
But yeah, do you have a best or or like yeah, mm-hmm. one that was like clever or one that stands out? You can pass, I guess. I was like, I have one in the chamber. Go, Isabel. Okay. okay, so like, I think the thing that's hard about best sex scene is like it's deeply personal to the things that like tingle you. Um, so like, this is like embarrassing because like one of the things that I am tingled by is public sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Sylvia Day, who's not an author that I often enjoy, has this insane series uh, called the Crossfire series. And so in Bared to You, there's this uh, insane scene where they've, like, they've already had penetrative sex, but, like, they go to this concert, and, like, she's on, like, the railing before you get to, like, the general admission section, and then, like, they, like, he, like, lifts up her skirt, and, like, there's all this music pounding, and I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) And, like, that's, like, a sex scene that definitely sticks out in my mind um, years and years after I read it. Like, that book isn't one that I'd even necessarily recommend and one that I don't know that we'd have a lot of interesting things to say about on the podcast but like that sex scene at the rock show is deeply memorable it's like Sylvia Day knows how to write a sex scene nice I just uh, remembered we did a blog about this and I can't remember any of this <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to reveal your id it's okay no it's 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 like um I think like the thing that's upsetting me about this is maybe I'm realizing I just have a very vanilla id (laughs) like like, to the point where it's unmemorable yeah Yeah. they turned out the lights it was in missionary position (laughs) it wrapped up in 20 minutes (laughs) loved it she Um, watched the tonight show after it was fine (laughs) it was fine (laughs) um the, so, okay, so I do, I talk about this scene all the time, so I feel a little bad bringing it up, but I also feel that that's the most indicative that it is my favorite, and it's in Beast, um, and it's the wrist-kissing scene. So what happens is they're very well-to-do people. Um, he seduced her as this chic character, and she never saw his face, so she has no reference point for the fact that she's actually married the man she was seduced by and fell in love with. She thinks that this guy is just like between her and her true love. And that he's like not attractive. He's very like snobbish and priggish and boring. He's really into perfume. So she's (laughs) not interested in her husband. But he's very interested in her because through seducing her, he found out that she's a lot more interesting than just a a vapid teenager. Um, And so he has taken the route of leaving her alone to try and, like, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, And her parents end up throwing this big fancy garden party in Paris. Um, The book takes place in France, which is something that does not happen enough in historicals nowadays, uh, but happened constantly in this era. And so... He shows up at the party and he just kind of watches everyone falling in love with her from a distance and gets really turned on by the fact that um, she's his wife and just like her being herself in the social, like when she is the most affecting version of herself is when she's in these like party scenarios and flirting with people. And so he finally walks up to her and takes her aside and she's, you know, where have you been and all that stuff. Uh, And he 
turns over her hand and sees the little patch of skin between her glove and her sleeve and just starts like licking it in front of her like parents in front of the whole party and starts to get her really hot and bothered which she hadn't been able to do as his true self um and just going for it and the whole time she's like this is the other thing I like about it is that the heroine is like this is very weird please stop (laughs) this is not appropriate and him just being like I don't care what's appropriate the other one is the final sex scene from Hummingbird. Yes, yes. Where he yes. rips off, he starts off like photographing her for her wedding and then ends up ripping off her wedding dress. And there's this point where he tears her veil and she's like, this was my mother's veil. And he's like, fuck your mom. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I was like, ah! <laughs> Yeah, and he tears her dress and she's like, oh no, like that was expensive. And he's like, I'll buy you another one. I was like, that's Hummingbird great. is the book that made me realize the appeal of a secret millionaire. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because he really uses his money to give her fuck you capacity. Where she's able to realize like she doesn't need the people of her town who never liked her. She doesn't need anyone to like her. She's better and more special than what has been given to her. And she's able to flex with all the money he gives her. It's true. Secret Millionaire is a hard one. We, we're we not a big fan of that trope, but no. yeah. Hummingbird, got to check that out too. So my best sex scene was a book we read pretty recently. Um, and it's the one that just sort of popped out when I, when I thought of this prompt, but it was from Joanna Shoup's The Prince of Broadway. Oh do no, we have the Clay. same one? I think we must we do. because it is when... They, you know, so the heroine Florence is dating Clayton and uh, or or they aren't at that stage, but uh, he, he runs a casino. His casino's raided. So they run to the brothel next door and they end up in this small little hallway and they have to. And it turns out that's like a room where you can like peep in on what's happening in the brothel rooms consensually like they sort of deal with that and I'm like it's enough <laughs> oh fine um and she watches and they get so turned on it's just like a mutual masturbation but very very sexy um voyeurism and all that stuff so I yeah so that's my favorite sex scene and uh oh Clayton so it's also yours that's uh, yes that was also <laughs> mine but what I will also say is the one and I think you probably remember this one too Aaron is the sex scene from The Rogue Not Taken by Sarah McLean where the hero is having the heroine describe her seeing uh, the sex that she saw happen in, I think it was, what? In a barn. In a barn. And she and he get turned on with her describing the sex act that she saw. And that's a very hot scene. Plus, there's the whole carriage scene in that book as well that is really, really super sexy. But oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I would say though that's definitely like up there for me as well. I feel like this question has gotten to the root of like what's key. What, what is the key difference between womance and learning the tropes? <laughs> is that womance are a pair of exhibitionists and learning the tropes, a couple of voyeurs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. There you go. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. <laughs> we go together perfectly then. Everyone exactly. has their job. We're always That's peeping. Great. 
always peeping. How's the peeping, Use that for your merch. Yes. Always peeping. Always peeping. (laughs) That'd be great if we debuted that before this episode. Always peeping. We should sign off with keep peeping. Keep (laughs) peeping. Keep peeping. Okay. And so now this is Morgan's favorite category, weirdest sex scene. Thank you so much for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) In the book, Mermaid's Kiss. The mermaid and angel, she's inhuman. She's got legs. They are traipsing across a desert. Mm-hmm. And they find the cave of a strange cave creature, which doesn't align with any kind of mythical creature I've heard of before, but is described as a giant mole rat, um, basically. And it's a shapeshifter. Naked. Naked mole rat, yeah. Um, and it's a shapeshifter. Uh, the angel and the mermaid have to have sex every two hours. Uh, because right. of the book, not because of any actual parameter. Okay. <laughs> As they begin to make love in this creature's cave, this friendly creature's cave, the creature thoughtfully turns itself into a mattress that they can make love on top of. That's it. <laughs> But it's described as a waterbed. Yeah, it's like it doesn't say it's like a waterbed, but they describe very clearly the sensation of being on a waterbed, but a warm, velvety waterbed. Oh God! Oh no! Oh, That's no. great. And they get like they also talk about like the vibe coming off of the naked mole rat because it's very clear. That Joey Hill actually, you know, she's very conscientious of consent and she doesn't want this to be the kind of thing where someone gets fingered on a horse and it's like the horse wasn't, didn't say that was okay. Oh, is that a problem? Yeah. So the, so the naked mole rat, the book wants you to know, very cool with it. Erin, just the fact that you asked that question means that it is a problem. <laughs> I think, can we have a new category, best, like, favorite described sex scene? Because I think that is my favorite sex scene that I didn't actually read, but it was described to me. It's amazing. Oh, God, that's sexy. The other thing is, like, the naked bull rat, like, isn't horny, but it also isn't indifferent. It's just, like... (laughs) super supportive it's just like the chillest mole rat there's ever been where he's like yeah, yeah man if you want to fuck on me i'll turn into a waterbed or not yeah, no it's problem. fine let me just stretch to my big body yeah <laughs> god was it painful for him was he just like do was he making himself bigger and it was like kind of painful but he was like you know what i gotta let him finish i gotta yeah. let him- it's rude at this stage yeah yeah i can't go back yeah. Oh, if halfway through he was like, I'm not as into this as I wanted to be. <laughs> and it's he's just awful. not feeling it. <laughs> it's the most fun sex scene to talk about. And Isabeau said one of the meanest things I've ever heard her say when we were recording it. What did I say? Uh, who's the comedian who had the show that was on HBO that was like a memoir about being a stand-up comedian in New oh, York? <laughs> Pete Holmes, oh, Isabel says, as we're yeah. talking about this creature and it's described so strangely, Isabel goes, I was picturing him as Pete Holmes. <laughs> that just is like, awesome. Really, just uh. like cushy and sort of bland. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's a listener, so he'll appreciate this. <laughs> 
he I'm does glad look- we finally got that information in front of Pete Holmes. <laughs> Pete Holmes, I really think your comedy is very funny, but also, like, if you weren't wearing clothes, I picture you as a naked wolf. Yeah. Sometimes. He does look subterranean. Slash waterbed. Thank you. Slash Wait, thank you. Isabeau, is that the same scene for you? Uh, I mean, that one's, like, impossible to beat, so I have to say yes. Yeah. But, like, I would say my weirdest sex premise is uh, never sweeter because, like, the hero threw her off a cliff yes. and they still had sex. So, like, God, the sex scenes were, book. like, you know? <laughs> so, like, absurd. the premise of the sex in that book continues to weird me out, but it's, like, not the weirdest encapsulated scene. Yeah. yeah. That book, I think we dislike. That's another one that we were very, I think, aggressively against. And yeah. did you guys like that book or? Very sexy. You liked it. It's in- We didn't like it, but we continue to like think about the ways in which it worked and its physicality, its, corpor- its corporeal sex scenes yeah. are quite strong. But like the book itself and its message of like, fixing a person who's like attempted to murder you yeah. is really damaging mm-hmm. um and like that's the wrestle that we have with that book. absolutely because you should be able to fill that fill that kink if you want to but just don't model behavior i mean i think that and that's a line nowadays too because i think with a lot of younger audiences it, it is very much like if the author wrote this that's what they believe and and mm. that you have to always think of that when you it's it sucks as an artistic person to have to think of the literal and you know but i think it's just the way society has moved and and you have to move with it mm-hmm. you know but yeah. people should be able to get their kinks out because it's better that this happens in a book than it happens in real life yeah yeah that's such a fine line to to walk it is it is. I just like I just don't believe that he's redeemed either. No. And so like uh, yeah. Yeah. That book. So Aaron, can you anyway. t- uh, can you top this? <laughs> can you top We'll probably have this si- Well, what 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 is your weirdest sex scene because I have a feeling it'll be the same and I it's- have already like jumped YouTube twice, so let's see. Well, I mean, it is this any sex scene in um, what is the um Strange Love? No, not Strange Love. Oh, okay. Um, Letta so Blake. Letta Blake, um, what's the name of that? Sorry, I'm pulling oh, my phone. Oh yeah, the Omega Verse. Yeah. Um Slow Heat by Letta Blake, where it's mm. um Mpreg. Yeah. It's an Mpreg book and um the characters butts get slick. <laughs> Oh yeah, they lubric- <laughs> their butts are self lubricating. Their assholes are. It's convenient. Yeah. There's all sex. this stuff about heat, be- people yeah. being in heat. It's oh wow, wacky. But the thing about the book that we loved was that you cared about the characters in this world, and as ridiculous as the sex in it was, the investment that you had with the characters totally made it. Like, by the end, you're just, like, rooting for these characters that are constantly just horny and hard and their butts are slick. Because <laughs> the book opens up with them, the all the men watching a, a film strip in school about sex and their butts just are just dripping. 
Yeah, it starts out. In class. And I was like, what is this? But then by the end, you're just like, I hope they, I hope they live happily ever after. (laughs) It's nuts. But those are the weirdest. It's a great book. It's a great book. We had the author on and she was really Mm -hmm. great. Yeah, she was very sweet. That's awesome. Um, Well, mine is Strange Love. uh, Just because... I never got a hand. So that's an alien romance where the alien is Xylar. He does not have external genitalia, which is fine. I don't, there's like other romances where no one has external genitalia, but I never got a handle on what was the sex. Like she would basically just like put her hand in his chest cavity and just kind of wiggle it around. And that she was very pleasurable him. for him. Yeah. yeah it was I penetrative him on chest. her end. Yeah. They seem I mean, to I'm, enjoy themselves. Saying. And that's yeah. another fantastic book, but the sex was very odd. Yes. But still sexy somehow. I mean, it worked. She did it. It was sexy because Anna they Glyer. had to communicate. They had to communicate at a, such a high level because their anatomies were so different from each other that they had to say, how does this work? How does this feel? Do you like this? What should I do? And I think from Strange Love, I think all teenagers should read strange love and take example from that and be like, these are the same questions you should ask about penises and vaginas because you don't know really how they work. If you've never had sex before, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, your anatomy, but you don't know the other people's anatomy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do like that both strange love and slow heat. Clayton has recommended for sex ed in American schools, which I mean, I think it's not a bad idea. Um, the only books, no other books, just those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, thanks so much, uh, Morgan and Isabel, for joining us. We had such a great time having you guys on. How can people find you and follow you? Uh, we are at Womance, W H O A, Mance, in the normal way, on Instagram. And on Twitter, we are mans underscore woe. Uh, don't ask about it. And then uh, we're <laughs> romancepodcast.com. And we're on and all of your favorite podcast listening apps. Yeah, yes. download them now. Um, all right. Do you guys have anything big coming up you want to plug or just the, oh, the continuation oh. of the podcast? Can we talk about our Jane Eyre series? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was checking with Isabeau for scheduling purposes, oh. but oh. uh, we are doing a Jane Eyre chapter by chapter read along. Fun. Super fun. We are investigating one of the archetype heroes for the romance genre that we spend so much of our time in. Um, is the archetype hero Darcy or is he a Rochester? Or is and he Brendan Fraser and the Mummy? Obviously, <laughs> I he have Brett a Connell? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're doing a Jane Eyre read along. So that'll be something that you should check out. That's awesome. Nice. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. Thank you, guys. Yes, thank I love you. your show and I'm so excited to be a part of it for real. Yes, Yay. we are mutual fans. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks.